So we, uh, we started with, uh, with Jeremiah. He's a prophet, not a bullfrog, right? And he, uh, he speaks for God. That's his whole job, is to say what God tells him to say. And God says to him that the, his words are going to build things up and tear things down. It's going to build up the things that need building up, and it's going to tear down the things that need tearing down. And so uh, just to put in context his message, at, at the time that, that uh, Jeremiah is speaking to Israel, um, it, it's an era in Israelite history when they'd had a lot of evil kings. The, the most evil king uh, ever known had just finished his reign, and the current king was, uh, was King Josiah. And what we know about Josiah is even though he was raised by the most evil king Israel ever had, they said that he was like the best king they'd ever had. He was a guy who really cared about getting it right. And so in his time, he, uh, he decided that even though things were, were ugly in Israel and the, the uh, temple had fallen into disrepair, he ordered that you know things get, get done differently. And, and one of the first things on his agenda was clearing up the temple and, and rebuilding and fixing walls and doing stuff. And while the workmen were in there doing that, inside of a wall, they found the scroll of the law, the book of, Jeremiah, of, of Deuteronomy, it's believed. So they come up with this book of scripture that tells them about God and what re- God requires of them. And Josiah, as king, he reads it, and he weeps, and he tears his clothes, and he throws sackcloth, you know, he throws ashes on himself. He's in mourning for how bad things are and how far they've drifted from where God wanted them to be. And so he sets about doing some reform. And, and so there are idols and altars, even inside the temple, to other gods and other idols. And he has them all torn down and, and, and stripped out of there. And he starts this reform in Israel where they're trying to get back to basics. They're trying to refine their way to God and, and do what they're supposed to do and be the people they're called to be in the world, representing the one true God. And so even out in the rural villages where they have sanctuaries or altars to, to other deities. He has them torn down, and he calls the entire nation to repent of what they've been doing, to, to turn around and face the other direction, and, and start to treat God like he matters. And so he's seen as a good king, and he wasn't raised to be a good king. His dad wasn't a good king. He wasn't a good man. He wasn't somebody who honored God, but Josiah was, even from a young age, somebody who wanted to serve God. And so there was all this hope of, of the nation getting back on track. You know, the Israelites, if you read very much in the Old Testament, they keep falling off the wagon and, and treating people horribly and, and not responding to God well and, and, and not kind of doing what they're supposed to do to be his people, to be his representatives. And, and so they kept, first it was the judges, and then it was the, the prophets that would come and say, like, smarten up, come on, get this right. Like, God's not happy with this. And they'd go along better for a while and straighten it out, and then they'd fall off the wagon again, and things would get ugly. And so Jeremiah comes as a prophet during the reign of, Jer- of, of Josiah, a good king who's trying to get it right, who's created all these religious reforms and, you know, they're back to the temple and back to the worship of God, the one true God. And yet you find him as a prophet speaking to them and saying, there's still some stuff that's really, 
really not right. And so that's where we begin this morning. And and I'm going to start at the end of our passage with this word picture that he paints when he says, For my people have done two evil things. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. The Lord's a fountain, a source of living water. And if you've ever been hiking, you're like, if, if you don't have a filter, especially for, for your water bottle, if you run out of water, you're looking for moving water, right? You don't want a stagnant pool of water that you got to draw from if you need to drink in an emergency. You want, you're looking for flowing living water. And so he describes himself as a fountain of living water. And he says, they've forsaken him like they've turned against him. They've abandoned him as the fountain of living water. And instead, they've dug themselves cisterns. Uh, in, in the age that Jeremiah was around, it was in the uh, late kind of iron, uh, iron era. Or, and so in, in the part of this uh, later part of the Iron Age, and they were, there were places where there was fresh water flowing and there are places that it wasn't so plentiful. But even where there was fresh water flowing, when they went through the rainy winter season, you know, you'd get lots of rain and, and you'd have rain to rely on so the, the rivers would be flowing. There'd be little brooks. They could find places to find water. But often when that was over and in the sunny season, it was a little more scarce. So they would dig cisterns. they dig like pits, kind of, you know, bigger at the bottom than it was at the opening. And they would store rainwater in there for the time when they would need it, when they would run out of water and they'd need water. And so they'd build these cisterns as places to store water so that they were on the safe side because we got some extra water. It's a good plan for storing water. But what God is saying to them is what you've done is you've got me as, as a fountain of living water. You've got a source of living water and you've got no interest in it, you've abandoned it, and instead you've dug yourself this cistern, you've dug these cisterns, you've, you, you, you're kind of self-reliant now, right? Like we've stored up some, we've got a little safety marsh and a little cushion uh, against the forces of nature, we've got some water that we've looked after and we've put in there, and we've taken care of our own needs, and we'll be fine, we'll look after ourselves. And he says, you've dug for yourself these cisterns, but they're actually cracked. And, and if you can imagine, if it's a big cistern that's supposed to hold water and it's cracked, what happens next, right? Water leaches out. And so what is it that's happening? What is it that's going on in Israel that he's interpreting as, uh, that God is interpreting through his prophet and, and sending this, mission, mission, this message to Israel that they're getting it wrong. He says, you've abandoned me, and instead you've dug, dug these, uh, these cisterns, these cracked cisterns. And so let's start to work our way through our passage with that picture in mind that they're making a choice, and it's kind of a, a binary choice, like an either-or choice. They're choosing uh, the cracked cisterns over God. They're going to the cisterns, to their own built way of sustaining themselves, their own method of storing up things against a non-rainy day, right? Instead of relying on, on the Lord. And so as we begin at the beginning of our passage, to get that picture that he sums up by calling it, uh, by call, calling it this choice between the Lord as living water 
and crack cisterns, uh, as we get to that place, it says, the Lord gave me another message. Jeremiah says, go and shout this message to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago, how you loved me and followed even me even through the barren wilderness. In those days, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his children. All who harmed his people were considered guilty, and disaster fell upon them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So he paints this picture, and, then, and what he's saying is that, that God, you were, God's saying, you were eager to please me. He says to Israel, you used to be eager to please me. You love me like a bride loves her bridegroom. You know, you were, you, you, you were eager to please me as a young bride long ago. And how you loved me and followed me. And even when we passed through the barren wilderness, like you stuck with me through all of those challenges, you still trusted me enough to stick with me through the barren wilderness. And in those days, Israel was holy to the Lord. So he paints this picture of, of Israel as a bride, you know, a young bride that's still doe-eyed and in love and, and following him and, and, and loving him. Not that all young brides are like that. But, uh, but he paints this picture of a bride just, just loving her husband and, and kind of just wanting to love him and make him happy. And then he says, in those days Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his children. He paints a different picture and he goes, in some ways they're like a bride and in some ways they're like his child. He says, all who harmed his people were considered guilty and disaster fell on them. I, the Lord, have spoken. He says, I I used to protect you and, and any harm that you were threatened by, anybody around you that was looking to do you harm, I got in their way. And I cut off their advancement towards you. I was looking after you. You loved me and trusted me and followed me like a bride. And I protected you like you were my children. And so those two images of a bride and a, and a firstborn child. And, and God takes all this very personally. He says it's, it's, it's like being a husband or being like a dad. And, and so there's this close, intimate family relationship and he says i cared for you and it matters to me and you can kind of hear the anguish he's not just saying that you know oh you've done wrong and i'm going to punish you he says look i loved you and you loved me and you followed me and you trusted me and and that's how it used to be but it's not that way now and i used to protect you and and look after you as as my children and and yet things are very different And it hurts him. But that doesn't make him weak, right? He cares and he feels deeply the rejection of his people. But that doesn't mean that he's vulnerable, except for the vulnerability that he kind of sets up, right? And so he, he puts himself out there and he says, look, I, I cared. It mattered to me that you love me back. It, it mattered to me that you followed me and trusted me. It mattered to me that I was protecting you and, and that you were my people. And now that's not the way things are going. And so there's this shift. And he says, look, listen to the word of the Lord, people of Jacob, all you families of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me. 
They worshipped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. You hear his heart? He says, what did you find wrong with me? How did I fail you? What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me, to run the other direction, to do other things and follow other gods and look for answers in other places? What did I do wrong? What did they find wrong with me? And he says they worshiped worthless idols, or some translations put it foolish idols. In the same thing, right? There's this worthlessness, this frivolity to it. They're making bad choices. And so they worship worthless idols. And he says they become worthless or foolish themselves. They've, they've let go of what makes sense, and they're valuing all the wrong stuff. And it has an effect on them and on him. So he asks this question, what did they find wrong? What's, what's going on with that? And then he goes into detail. He says, they did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us safely out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, a land of deserts and pits and drought and death where no one lives or even travels? He says, we went through this dark place, this barren wilderness, this place of death, and, and I led you, but... but None of you now are saying, where's the Lord who did that for us? They're going about their business and they're doing their things and and there's been these reforms and they're going to the temple and they're going through the motions of worship. That was part of what Josiah had introduced to the people of God because his heart was in the right place. But it turns out that what Jeremiah is saying is they're doing all the religious trappings. They're showing up at worship but they're not looking at their lives and saying, where is God? What is he doing? What is he saying? Where do I see activity that he's involved in that makes me recognize that he is still alive and still at work and still interested in what's happening? So he says the problem he has with them, one of the things that shows that they're digging these cisterns and relying on themselves is they don't go looking for God even when they get in trouble. He says, I led you through this dark wilderness and you relied on me, but now you don't even ask, where's God? Even when you're, when you're, when you're struggling and, and you're not sure where God is or what he's doing, he's saying, I missed that question because when you asked that, it meant you cared. You expected me to show up. You expected me to do stuff. And now you're going through the motions, you're doing all the religious stuff and you're living your lives and you're going to work and you're raising your families and you never ask, where is God in all of this? Where is the Lord, the one who did all these things for us? Where is he now? They aren't looking for God in their world. They're talking about him maybe. They're going to worship and they're talking about what they believe, but they're not looking for him. And then he goes on to say he led them safely through the desert and the promised land. And, and, you know, they don't say where is the Lord who'd rescued them before. He led them out of the, the desert and into the promised land. And so he goes on to say, and when I brought you into, the fruit, fruit, uh, into a fruitful land to enjoy its bounty and goodness... You defiled my land and corrupted the inheritance I had promised to you. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? 
The judges ignored me. The rulers turned against me. And the prophets spoke in the name of Baal, wasting their time on nonsense. He says their focus was on everything but. Like even the priests weren't saying, where's the Lord? It's okay if you haven't noticed him. It's okay if you haven't seen him. But to not even ask about him. (coughs) To not be looking for him is to not be able to see him. So he says, not only were the people not asking that question, where's the Lord, but even the priests themselves, the people charged with caring for the people of Israel, they were going to the temple and they were doing their priestly duties and they were leading religious services, but they weren't asking, where's the Lord? What's God doing? What's he saying? Where is he active in the world? So they didn't ask, where is the Lord? And he says, the judges ignored me, the rulers turned against me, and even the prophets kind of dabbling with other gods like Baal. They're not focusing on God and they're not listening for him and they're not watching for him and they're not paying attention. So the Lord is saying, that's what you're doing here. And when you do that, that's like ignoring the fountain of living water. You've got this source of real life, and yet you are trying to look after yourself and your methods with these cisterns. Not the way to go. They're cracked. They leak. No water in there, and the water that's in there has been compromised. So everybody who should have chosen God and his ways didn't ask the questions they needed to ask to know where he was, to pay attention to what he was doing. They did religious things, but they discounted God's real presence to speak and to act. So then God gives this indictment. He says, therefore I will. Therefore I will bring my case against you, and I will keep on accusing you, even against your children's children, In the years to come, I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, you understand what he's saying there isn't, I'm going to punish your kids for what you do, but that what they are doing is going to have a direct effect on their children. The way that they're raising their children is to ignore God. And he says there's consequences to that. If they don't turn to me, if they don't look for me, if they aren't paying attention to what I'm doing, if they aren't watching and waiting and saying, where is the Lord and what's he up to and how can I follow him more closely? How can I honor him above everything else? If they're looking for their answers in their, in, in their work and in their homes and in their relationships and in all the things that they value, and they're spending their time and their energy on that and ignoring that God actually exists while they're going to temple and while they're doing their religious things, if they're not paying attention to God, if they're not looking for him to be actively involved in their lives. He says, it's like you've dug a cistern and you're, and, and you're just wasting your time. So he brings these charges against them. He speaks in, in legal language, but it's, it's not that clinical, right? Because he feels it deeply. He says, what have you got against me? And then he says, look, here's, here's my problem with how things are playing out. So it's courtroom language, and he's indicting his people for going about their lives as people, leaders, religious leaders, doing all those things, and maybe even doing them in a religious way, but not paying attention to whether he's actually really present or not in what they're doing. So they're doing 
the religion of the people of God, but they're not following the living God who has made himself available to his people, who is there to lead them and protect them and speak to them and guide them. So they choose foolish idols over the Lord and they, and they choose these other methods of, of satisfaction. They're hedging their bets. They're going, <clears throat> well, if one God is good, then two gods is better, right? And if I, if I appeal to all these gods, then at least, you know, if, if one of them's real or one of them's working, then maybe it'll help me with my crops and with my love life and with, with everything else that's going on in my life. I, I, if I'm looking for blessings in more sources... And maybe, you know, somehow I'll come up with a life that's worth living and I'll get the blessings from somewhere and I don't really care where they come from. But God points out to them the ludicrousness of that because he's the only real God. And so they're worshiping false idols. They're following other things. And and just in case you think, well, okay, good, I, I don't need to hear that message. I, I don't have a hunk of wood in my garage that I go and kneel down to. Anything that takes God's place, anything that we rely on more than we rely on God has become an idol to us. Anything that we lean on, whether it's our bank account or our careers or relationships in our lives, certain people that we value more than we value what God is saying, what God is doing. So they put all kinds of other things in God's place and they've ignored his real presence even while they still talk about him and still kind of go through the motions. Temple worship. So the temple was rebuilt and the sacrifices were reinstituted and all the religious ritual was in place. But they didn't ask, where is God? So he takes it very personal. And then he says... Go west to the land of Cyprus. Go east to the land of Kedar. Think about what you see there. If, see if anyone has ever heard of anything as strange as this. Has any nation ever exchanged its gods for another god, even though its gods are nothing? He says there's all these people out there, and none of them ever trade in one god for another. They're stuck to the god of their land, and their gods aren't even real gods. Like They don't do anything. They're hunks of wood. They're, they're stuff. Their ideas, but the one God who created the entire universe is waiting for them and looking for them and, and wanting to have a relationship with them and leading them in a way that they can follow if they would just love them back. And so he says, nobody does that, but you guys are doing it and you got less reason to do it than anybody. So the heavens are shocked at such a thing, and he says, and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. And that brings us back to the two evil things he talks about. He says, you've abandoned the Lord who is living water, and you've dug for yourself these cisterns. You've counted on your own resources. You've leaned on other things that are man-made, idols of all kinds. No water left. Not safe water if there's a little bit in the bottom. You could be relying on me and you could trust me. The contrast with the people of God 
who walked through the wilderness and God gave them manna every morning and they weren't even allowed to store up two days worth. They had to just rely on him day to day that he would do it again tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that and they were supposed to learn the lesson of complete reliance on God. And he says, now we're in the land and, and now I brought you to this land that's you know described as flowing with milk and honey and you've got all this stuff and, and you're richly supplied with your human needs. But here in the land where you have this temple that supposedly worships me, you go and you sit and worship. But if I was to remove myself from there, you wouldn't even notice I was gone because you're not looking for me. You want ideas about me. You want rituals that point to me, and that's okay. But the real living God who might speak to you and challenge you and lead you in a direction you don't want to go. That's a little more troublesome. That guy gets in your way sometimes. That guy, he's so real that you just can't make up the version you want. Say, well, what I believe about this. Idols, you can shape them however you want, both physically and ideologically, right? You could say, my idol, my idol does this, and my idol believes in that, and his ideas, really strangely, just line up a lot with my ideas. Like he interprets the world just like me. I, what a coincidence. God's not that easy. And so he speaks up, and he says, look, the problem here isn't that you aren't doing the religious things. Josiah made sure we went back to that. For many of them, it was still on the surface. It was just the stuff, religion. It was songs, and it was music, and it was the temple, and the trappings, and they did all those things. They didn't expect a real living God to interrupt their day. Pull them in directions that they didn't come up with themselves. You could be relying on me. You should be relying on me. I am the source of real life. Yet you've dug yourself another system. Relying on that. Not what you should be after. Haven't asked the right question. Not you don't have the right answers. You haven't asked the right question. You haven't asked where is God. Because as soon as you start asking, Start showing up with answers. I'll lead you in the direction that I want you to move so you can get closer to me and get closer to understanding who I am, but you can't do it without seeking. You can't do it as long as you rely on yourself instead of me. So Jeremiah speaks on behalf of the Lord at the Lord's behest, and he says, look, people, just do religion. Don't just show up to the temple. Just come to church on Sundays. Like, come to church on Sundays, but more than that. Know that the Lord is real. We didn't make him up. He doesn't follow what we ask him to be. He is who he is, and we need to learn about him. Follow him, seek him ask the question when we don't sense his presence to say where is he what is he doing 
does he want me to go to find? Movement do I have to make to get closer because he is accessible? To be fair. Jeremiah speaks to them. Not a popular word. They felt like they'd made a lot of progress and they'd done a lot of good things and, and, and they were looking at what Josiah had in, introduced and they thought, well, we're, we're all the way there. We're pretty, doing pretty darn good. I ask God of heaven. I am the way our people used to rely on. Cistern never supply what systems, life and politics and religion, self, self determinism. It will never lead where we back to the rely on for him and for him and pay attention. Whether we know it or not, we'll be lost. Not idea. Don't. He is creative. Speaks to us. Sometimes we have the wrong idea about him, and he's saying. Not like that at all. We're asking where he is. We're aware. Paul's through Jeremiah. And I still want that. Still want that relationship. I'm looking. You will find me. 